This is Hacker Public Radio episode 3229 for Thursday the 17th of December 2020. Today's show is entitled, Linux In-Laws S0 E19. Written and is part of the series, Linux In-Laws, it is hosted by Monochrome, and is about 74 minutes long, and carries an explicit flag. The summary is, our two chaps interview Itama Haber of Riddim fame. This episode of HPR is brought to you by archive.org. Support universal access to all knowledge by heading over to archive.org forward slash donate. Linux In-Laws, a podcast on topics around free and open source software, any associated contraband, communism, the revolution in general, and whatever else fancies your tickle. Please note that this and other episodes may contain strong language, offensive humor, and other certainly not politically correct language. You have been warned. Our parents insisted on this disclaimer. Happy mum! Thus, the content is not suitable for consumption in the workplace, especially when played back on a speaker in an open plan office or similar environments. Any minors under the age of 35 or any pets, including fluffy little killer bunnies, your trusted guide dog, unless on speed, and cute T-Rexes or other associated dinosaurs. This is Linux In-Laws, Season 1, Episode 19. Redis. Martin, hi, how are things? Hey, good morning, Chris. Things are fine, things are well, and our favorite project is being discussed today, or one of our uh, favorite projects. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a great pleasure to have Itamar Haber on the show. Full disclosure, we recorded this uh, interview late October when Israel, where Itamar is living with his family, it was still in lockdown or under lockdown mode. In lockdown mode, sorry. So the sound quality may be a little bit off here and there. We do we do like to apologize for this, but overall, I think it's a great experience, and we are rolling with the interview now. And see you on the other side. This is our featured speaker for tonight. A um, gentleman called by the name of Itamar Harbour. But enough from me. Itamar, why don't you introduce yourself? Thank you, Christoph. And thank you, Martin, for inviting me to this wonderful, lovely podcast. Uh, I'll stop talking like you now and return and resume my normal voice. My name is Itamar Haber. Uh, I'm a, the, a software developer in origin or, yeah, I can, I guess I can call myself that. 
but uh, I've long, it's been a long time since I seriously developed software. One would argue whether I even actually did that in the past. Currently, let's, let's start like chronologically and go backwards if it's of any interest. Feel free to stop me, right? Currently, I'm, uh, no, 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 because look, I'm almost 49, well, 48 now. So I've got a lot of stories. Um, right now, I'm, I'm working in a very interesting company called uh, Redis Labs. By the way, I know both of you from there, so hi again. Uh, but uh, I've been with Redis Labs for a long time now because I'm so old, almost eight years. Uh, Redis, for those of you who don't know it, is an open source uh, project, which is something I think we're here to talk about. So I won't talk about it just now. I'll continue with my introduction about myself. In Redis Labs or at Redis Labs, I've done a lot of things. We, I was like the 10th employee or something <coughs> in the company. Um, so uh, I had a lot of hats, but I've always been uh, passionate about developers and interacting with developers and basically making an open source project, really open source, not just in the sense of the source, but in the sense of openness. Before that, I dabbed a lot with other databases, uh, mainly SQL-ish ones. Redis is my first real foray into NoSQL land, but I've done the regular batch of Oracle, MySQL, MSSQL, and even in the formats at one time, I have diplomas for all of these, like real certificates somewhere on real paper. Um, before doing a lot of DBA work and database-related development, uh, I was basically an app programmer, and I started that like when I was around uh, 16, pretty young. I was working at my mother's and father's software development house. And even before that, I used to try and hack uh, or be a hacker or programmer or developer or something was always fascinated by uh, the blinking lights and the zeros and ones. Um, and I actually have an anecdote, if there's time for that. Absolutely. I can actually tell you, I, I remember why I became a programmer or a developer, what was the main driver. So one of the first machines I ever touched was something called a K-Pro. Um, I don't know if Either of you or the audience have heard of that machine, but it was amazingly, it was a portable computer. It was a computer you could move from one place to another. It was amazing. If, if you can embed like images in a podcast, can you put image in a podcast? Not I really, no. Put oh, that's a great idea. We can yeah. put links into, into uh, the show notes. Yeah. yeah, well, maybe we need a link to an image of Capra, but it was basically this huge suitcase made out of steel filled with expensive electronics. You had to be, like, very muscular to move it around, but it was portable. It has this tiny CRT screen uh, in it. It had its own keyboard, a floppy drive. And it had an amazing operating system called CPM. That's CP slash N, if you don't know what I mean. I know it quite well, actually. Uh, uh, yeah. And it came with a game. So the 
WordPress, you could also list the files in a directory or something. But there was a single game. It was called Letters. It was some kind of a King Kong clone, all done in ASCII, of course, no graphics. And after playing that game, I was fascinated by it, and I decided to reverse engineer it. So I went to the command prompt, and the file name was letters.com. So I tried doing type, I think, was the command to see what's inside it. Type letters.com. My screen, the tiny screen, immediately filled with garbage plus uh, beeping sounds, which I later learned are control Gs. And I spent hours looking at that, trying to understand how from this pile of mess the computer makes a game. I could not read binary for some reason. So I took <laughs> a more cautionary approach and learned basic and then Pascal and assembler and the entire goodness. I okay. still make a decent game though. I still don't understand how letters work or <laughs> anything in computers, but fair, fair enough. Side point. So you've invited me here to talk about open source. Well, um, this is an open source podcast, yeah, but we can talk about communism, we can talk about political views, we can talk about free and open source software, anything really, of course. <laughs> Redis, I com about Redis, as well. <laughs> Redis comes to mind as one of the more popular open source projects <laughs> that Redis Labs does, yes. So we want to talk Redis open source, I guess. Uh, yes. Uh, sure. Maybe... Uh, I work well with questions, if you can point me, but Ab I guess the first question is tell us a little yeah. about Redis. Exactly. For those few people who do not know Redis among our listeners, maybe why don't you give a short overview about this popular in-memory NoSQL database? Great. So you said all the NoSQL in-memory uh, database or maybe a data structure store. Um Let's break it down. Uh, it's a project. It's an open source project. It was instigated, created, and lovingly maintained by uh, an amazing fellow called Salvatore Sanfilippo, uh, an Italian guy, uh, simply brilliant, more of an artist uh, than a developer, which makes him a great developer, I guess. Uh, basically, was like shutting down one startup with that he opened with a friend that that's like early 2009, I think. And after having developed some sort of an application, uh, found a gap in existing technologies. And we're talking about basically the inception or the beginning of <clears throat> no sequel or whatever. So the idea was, yeah, I have this relational database. Let's go with my sequel. And I love it. I do a lot of things with it, but it's not really the best tool for some of the tasks that I have and I'm currently using it with, whether it's too big or too small or too complex or too slow, whatever. Uh, there are limitations and constraints. Excuse my pun. Um, so like any good uh, artist, instead of... Uh, Letting it slide, he decided to create something of his, of his own, something that uh, already existed in some form. If you're familiar with Memcached, Redis uh, 
He's kind of a spiritual con- uh, successor of Memkesh in a lot of senses, but uh, ironically, it wasn't inspired by Memkesh. I'm not sure that Salvatore, the creator, was also referred to by his nickname, Antires, uh, or Antires, or Antirets, as he calls himself, um, was even aware of Memkesh. So he just went ahead and developed something that would help him as a developer or he thought would be helpful for other developers and just open sourced it. And this sounds very fast, but, and it was actually quite fast. He wrote the first prototype like Redis in very small time. It's actually available somewhere in the archives. It's a TCL based uh, version of Redis, 300 lines long, but it's basic Redis uh, in TCL. And after this proof of concept, he went uh, ahead and basically began what is a very uh, interesting career choice. He began being an open source developer. That is, he set his uh, ass down, excuse my French, and without being paid for it, he wasn't employed <laughs> at the time. He, his company was closed. He wasn't sponsored or anything just sat down and started coding in C of all languages because C is the programming language of uh, system software and Redis as a database server is considered system software. So we basically started coding Redis in C and after I think seven months or so or six months, there was the first version of Redis. So late 2009, if I'm not mistaken. And at that time, uh, Redis wasn't known. It wasn't even popular. Salvatore had some uh, credibility as a developer from his other and previous uh, experiences. So he had some followers and stuff like that, but it was still unused. And somehow during, I think, the first uh, two or after the first release, uh, during the uh, coming two years, the popularity of Redis just shot up. Uh, the popularity and also the capabilities. Um, a lot of that, in my opinion, was due to the fact that Redis was an open source project with a, a leader, a maintainer, a creator, a dictator, if you will, a very opinionated one. Uh, for sure, but a very benevolent one also because he understood, and still does, I guess, uh, we're talking in the past sense, but Salvatore was a developer and is a developer, so he understands what is the user experience one needs from a tool like Redis. But on the other hand, he also knew how to talk to other developers, which is not a less important. So he got feedback from people. He talked with people. He exchanged ideas, whether via it was the project used to be hosted. Right now it's on GitHub, but it used to be hosted on Google Code. There was this product by Google, which was shut down like so many others. The the, The development was transparent in the sense that he did the development, but did consult with people and did take their uh, feedbacks. 
and Redis grew sort of organically by the people who used it. Um, and I think this, this type of uh, interaction is what I find perhaps the top reason to do open source development. The fact that not just the many eyes concept that people can go and, I don't know, read your code or do code reviews and blame you on the bugs that you do, but there's, it's more open and more, I feel private and intimate to develop products like that. Of course, sure, you can build a product, a great product with product managers and surveys and feedbacks and marketing. That's like a top-down approach, but for some stuff, I don't know exactly what perhaps, but some stuff benefits from this kind of uh, guerrilla-like, we're huddling around a repo, we're discussing this together, uh, likely-minded people working on the core thing, and then it's becoming sort of a rolling snowball that just grows and more people join. And then the challenge is, of course, how do you maintain and grow and nourish a community, an ever-growing community of users, not necessarily of developers, uh, which is another hassle, I guess, or another challenge. Um, where was I? What was I talking about? Ah, Redis, sure. So Salvatore was kind of uh, the living spirit, and it still is, I guess, uh, in many people's eyes, the living spirit uh, for Redis. Uh, he got sponsored eventually. His effort did not go unnoticed, so he was sponsored. Someone picked up the tab, so at some point, Redis did start becoming his profession. He didn't just do it pro bono, but I assure you that he didn't do it for the money. He did it because he believed in it, and sponsorship was just like uh, a symptom or a byproduct. Uh, his first sponsor, incidentally, was uh, a nice company called, uh, I think, uh, VMware, now a part of EMC, or maybe Dell, or I don't know what. Uh, but at that time, VMC started sponsoring a lot of uh, open source projects, uh, and Redis was one of them. Later on, VMC, uh, not VMC, VMware, uh, VMware. Uh, purchased Pivotal Labs and basically rolled all the open source sponsorships to it. So Pivotal Labs also inherited Salvatore and Redis and they tried to grow with him and see if uh, they can help him. And it's another like this was, I guess, the, I don't remember the dates. Maybe we, we need to include the timeline. But I think around the uh, 200 and, uh, 2015 to Redis Labs. Uh, I know it's the company I work at. I'm proud of it, but seriously, it was the only logical move. Redis Labs has grown, and I'm not going to discuss the history of the company, but it's grown and proved itself to be the Redis uh, expert company. We were working on Redis and with Redis all the time. And Salvatore recognized this and joined forces with us. And basically from 2015, Salvatore is working at Redis Labs and we're working together on making Redis. Uh, and I would dare say in the more, in the most uh, 
effective way since the beginning, because at the beginning it was a lot of hacking, it was a lot of innovation, uh, but as the product matures and as the features got added and implemented right now, it's more about maturity and robustness and making completions and fine-tuning optimizations and uh, still making sure that it's the fastest uh, database out there. Yeah, so it's a great, great introduction to Redis, uh, Itamar. I, um, I was at uh, EMC back in the day when I think uh, uh, Salvatore joined, and we were all wondering, it's kind of, yeah, well, what, what was? Well, <laughs> actually, well, he was, he, he was uh, VMware uh, sponsored him, right? And uh, I was at yeah. EMC arm, but obviously, um, yeah, but they, they both joined, and yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, we were all wondering, it's like, what, is, what, what are we going to do with this Venice? <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so, so uh, another question on 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 your great introduction is really, uh, how, how did you become involved with Venice itself? Right? Is, was that uh, purely a career choice or or a, uh, a love for what you saw Salvatore doing? Because I think in your introduction you mentioned you have a, a very much a, a SQL-like background, and obviously <clears throat> Redis is a a NoSQL database. So. What was that? Was that a, a conscious choice or a, um, a career move? How would you describe that scenario? So I've always wanted to be a mermaid. Uh, <laughs> Not a unicorn. <laughs> well, now I'm a unicorn, yeah. Uh, no, I wanted to be, a, actually, I wanted to be a doctor. <laughs> okay. A physician, not just like. A doctor, yeah. doctor, but an actual physician, maybe a, uh, well, never mind my, uh, fetishes. Anyway, um, uh, some sort of like people caretaker, uh, in the, in the medical sense, greatly inspired by my, uh, great, by my grandfather who was a pediatrician. That said, I never amounted to anything, so I wasn't accepted to any medical school. And I picked computing as like a side career just because I was good at it and it was sort of a hobby, right? And here I find myself doing that, still doing that as a career. Uh, Redis itself was, well, it was life for me, just rolling between, uh, I was between jobs when I met Iftah, the founder of Redis. Or actually I met it. I met him in my previous uh, role in my previous company, which uh, from which I actually knew a little about Redis. I'll explain. Uh, my the previous company I used to work for was called Z Round. That's with an X, so X E in the word round. Um, I also spent a considerable time there, and what we did there was basically trying to build a company. The core technology that the company developed was, please, I'm going to unveil a very new concept, was an in-memory, NoSQL, although we didn't call it NoSQL because the word did not exist. Uh, so an in-memory, uh, NoSQL database. It wasn't open source. It uh-huh. was distributed, uh, had cluster. It, had, it, was, it wasn't Redis, but the core premise was very Redis-like, and there was no Redis for us to copy when we started at, at around two or, two or three, or I don't remember when. 
Um, so actually from my previous company, I knew a little about Redis. I was actually, we were actually considering whether we want to ditch our core technology and start adopting something that's more standard. And I met with, uh, Iftah here in the local Israeli pond, just in, I remember it was some kind of conference. We exchanged contact details later on. Zeround uh, started like pivoting again without going into the details. I left them and joined Iftah and Ofer with uh, Atratis Labs. At that time, they were called Karancha Data. Uh, being one of the first employees and the only employees that were there besides the two founders were almost exclusively developers, uh, very technical, besides the one QA guy alone. Um, I had a lot of gaps to fill there. Uh, I felt like there are a lot of gaps or a lot of challenges that uh, I can uh, step up to. My yeah. formal role, I had, like, <laughs> I had like four formal roles, some uh, doing customer support, doing the blog and website, doing like a bucket of alls. But what drew me, giving my passions and past experiences, even in open sourcing, which I dabbed before, specifically in Slackware Linux. Um, my passion drew me to actually dig in deeper and see what's happening. It helped me with my formal, helped me with my official and formal responsibilities in the sense that getting to know the project was beneficial to the company and myself, even supporting customers, of course. But I also really enjoyed making sense not of the, not only of the technology, uh, the best way to learn whether, like, if, if a user asks me whether I'm sitting as a support engineer or uh, talking about Redis and someone asks me a question about Redis to which I don't have an answer, the best way is for me is to actually go and read the code. And this is what I did. Now, reading the code because the code is available and because the code is open source leads you to the next um, logical step, which is to submit a pull request because you found a typo in one of the comments. That's basically the first thing you do as you step into the community. You make a PR because you found a typo, uh, which is, by the way, very nagging to maintainers, I guess. But you don't know that at that point. After, like, seeing that the code is actually out there and that I can do whatever I want with it. I started uh, looking more into the, who are the people there? I learned about the Creatore, Salvatore, and I learned about the other uh, community members from the different communication channels that uh, the project offered, mainly the GitHub, the mailing list, an IRC channel, and Twitter. Um... I'm. A, I think I'm not a, uh, the most outgoing person, perhaps in real life. I don't know, but online I allow myself much more, and it's easier to connect uh, online. So I made it point knowing the people who I saw visiting there, getting to know them, trying to help them, or reaching out to them for help, whether for me or one of the people I who approached me, and. It felt very natural to become a part of the community just because there was kind of a void there, a void for, I'd call it the community, not manager, because I wouldn't, 
I'm the last thing I'd call a manager, but someone or people who make the community tick along. In Redis's case, it was even more prominent, this void or lack of person, because Salvatore was uh, very uh, unpredictable in what he did and uh, how he communicated with people. Some people he would engage in discussions, others, or even the same, he would just leave dry and hanging with stuff. So there was a lot of place where people wanted to get involved, to dive deeper, take responsibility and ownership, not just wait for someone to tell you to do something, just like try to be helpful, see where you can make the biggest impact. And I think I was one of them. Uh, over the years, I established that. <laughs> but uh, all in all, uh, it's it's a growing, it's it's sort of a, growing experience in the sense that there is no recipe. You, you just have to play it by the ear and see where your fortes are. If, if you can do everything, if you're a super developer and if you know everything, and if you can write good documentation or blog posts or tutorials and whatever, then you can do anything. But if you're not an Uber person, and even if you know just one good thing or you know to do just one thing, maybe it's design a logo, Maybe it's uh, developing a web page or whatever. These kinds of skills are also crucial in every community. And uh, the challenge, I think, in every open source project is attracting community members who can contribute in a substantial way, not just fixed typos. Um, that has, yeah, sorry, sorry, go ahead. Um yeah, I'm leaving you myself. Know. If you have questions, feel free. No, to no, but, but obviously, uh, that has been more than insightful, especially about the origins of Redis and, and Redis Labs, uh, for that matter. Gitamar, uh, just a quick question. Full disclosure, I do work for Redis Labs. So did Martin before I decided to defect, but that's a different story. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> yes, I, shortly after I joined Redis Labs, I just for fun, basically, I did a kind of quick poll on GitHub to see how many projects do require Redis as one of their dependencies? And I was really amazed. And that was about 2018, give or take a few months. Mm -hmm. I was really surprised, basically, how popular Redis at that stage uh, already was. Uh, Redis was then used in virus scanners, mail systems, Primarily as a, as a, as a, um, key value store in terms of a simple cache, not, 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 not a simple cache, but just a cache. But Redis has much more to offer. I'm just thinking kind of along the lines of modules and stuff. What is your opinion on, on the kind of the, this first use case that apparently many people still use Redis for and the new bits and pieces, inverted commas, like modules like streams that have entered the code base over the years? Um, so I'll start with a little confession. When I joined Redis Labs and my first task was actually understand Redis, not dive into the code, just know how to do a get set or what do people use it for, right? Or how do you use it? I was very, very frustrated. It took me a long, long time to actually get it what Redis is about. And I totally blame my sequel-ish background. I was so, like, 
bias toward traditional views. Um, and given my experience that it took me a long time to dump it up and come with, up with Redis. And once I did it, it made perfect sense. Uh, I think the simplicity that like Redis, besides all its advantages, technical advantages, I think the fact that it's so simple, both to get up and running with, like the, with the defaults, and this is something that we're very, very proud of and try to maintain, the fact that you can just get it and start running it, and it gets up in less than uh, a second, and uh, regardless the size, and it just starts working out of the box, is amazing. And on that, the simplicity is a design principle in Redis, so it's not just the first out-of-the-box experience, it's also the kind of interaction that it offers and the visibility into what you're doing that is kind of unique. I think this gives it a lot of love from developers who appreciate this simplicity, this transparency, both the fact that the open source is open and they can look at it. They're not afraid of putting it as a dependency and just knowing that it works. Uh, of course, the fact that its history speaks for itself, Redis's history, its stability and performance is also a very good uh, uh, comforting piece of knowledge for developers. Um, granted, Redis is mostly known as a cache. Uh, that's partly because it was sort of a, and I said, a memcached replacement. I'm not sure it's a total replacement for memcached. Opinions are usually, if you're looking for simple caching, just caching, be it a blob or something, take memcached. But if you want anything more, just you can use Redis. Like you don't have to use Redis for that, but if you want more, you can use Redis or need to use Redis. So I I don't have numbers. I'd say a lot of Redis deployments nowadays are just stupid caches even. They just do get and set the values. But once you cut this, or once you take this use case and put it aside, there are a lot of interesting use cases. And you did this search. I did my searches. Like, there's, I can look for the link, but there's this kind of website that lists all message brokers, queue managers, and stuff like that, all technologies. And besides appearing them as Redis Redis, because it, can do PubSub, it can do lists, it can do for queues, and now it can do streams. Redis is also there because I think half of the tools use Redis in order to implement their logic, like all sorts of things like Celery and Sidekick for different languages, like queue managers. Uh, so it's not surprising to see Redis so widely used because it really offers, and it always has and hopefully always will, continue to offer the basic building blocks or the basic data structures, if you will, to build applications, not just any old application, but basically distributed, scalable, high-performance applications. That's Redis is a mandatory infrastructure for this type of application. I'd say the fact that it's very generic and gives you this, these, like, there's this uh, analogy of Lego blocks or building blocks that we use sometimes. It gives you the building blocks to implement easily distributed logic.
Let's, now let's talk about modules. <laughs> uh, modules is a big thing. It's a big thing because there are so much to it. Uh, we, Redis Labs, and personally I, or myself, or me, I don't know, one of us, were the proponents or uh, instigators for modules in Redis. We really, when Salvatore joined us, one of the first things we did was to sit down with him. We actually brought him to the head, to the home office in Tel Aviv where all of us developers were sitting. And one of the biggest things we talked about was modules, which isn't like a new idea. It's if you look at modules in Redis, you can see that in the first version of Redis where Salvatore sent the email about announcing the the thing, uh, version one at the bottom said, and in the future, I would like to see modules in it and all sorts of things. So like five or six years later, it actually came to fruition. The thing about modules that one needs to understand is why modules are needed. There's this lovely project, which, which I think I've mentioned, it's called Redis. It's an open source project. It, used to be led only by Salvatore. Uh, by the way, there was a trans uh, transition in the governance of the project we may want to touch upon later. Uh, but basically, Salvatore was the dictator or the benevolent dictator there. And if I had a contribution to Redis that isn't a type of fix and isn't a bug fix even, but maybe a new feature or a sub-feature that I thought people would really need, and I definitely needed for my application, I had, I think, three choices. I could go to Redis's repository and make a pull request, and the likelihood of that being uh, accepted was almost zero because there are a lot of pull requests. Not all of them get reviewed or got reviewed, and not all of them get accepted. Uh, so uh, I could perhaps try and code it using uh, Lua in Redis or in my client, which is a sucky solution sometimes. And the last uh, option I had to have my little feature in Redis is to actually fork Redis and start maintaining my own fork, backporting every with every release, porting my feature to it and so forth. All, all options were very bad. Now, when you discuss a small feature like a new command or not even a new command, but a variant on a command that filters something or does something better or adds something, you could argue that you could still do it in Lua or in the client. When it comes to much bigger things, it's very hard to do it client-side and with Lua. Uh, for example, not that there's a module for that, but I can give an example. At, in Redis, I don't remember the version, sorry, my memory is failing. But then one version of Redis, Salvatore introduced what's called as geospatial indices, which is basically a way to store geohashes in Redis and query them. I wanted to explore the idea of using geohashes for other stuff, not just the functionality that Redis offered, and tried to create a sort of a Lua library that extends Redis with more commands, like maybe a polygon search. 
which is a very complex example, but other examples are simpler. The problem with that was that it wasn't, it was very hard to develop, but apart from that, and use, but apart from that, it wasn't performing. Performing. So here you have Redis, an in-memory, kick-ass, blazing fast database, and anything you want to add to it becomes slow pain at a, a slow, uh, a very slow experience, which is bad. So we wanted, or I think this is this was a request from the community. Uh, largely represented by Redis Labs, but also from other people, uh, to have a way to extend Redis, still maintain the same benefits of stability and uh, performance um, without having to clone Redis. And there were a few technical hurdles to go over. The biggest hurdle from Salvatore's perspective was... Uh, there were two hurdles, actually. One, which we haven't solved, is stability. Basically, a module is user land code, so anything goes. We can't assure the ability of Redis uh, when someone is using a module, so you have to use modules from a well-known source, not just any old module. The other problem was, and which Salvatore solved quite brilliantly, was he wanted to have uh, compatibility between different versions of modules and different versions of Redis. So if I have a module that was developed for Redis 5 and now there's Redis 6, I can upgrade my Redis 6 and the module not only continue running, but I would I could basically use the same binary. So I'm talking about binary compatibility as well. But once that got like designed and solved, we got the first version of modules uh, API and started working with it. I was one of the beta testers and like I developed a few modules in my time. Um, so it was a really great experience. It was like a rush of joy. Suddenly the sky were the limit. You could add anything to mod with the module to Redis. Um, I think three or four years later, when you look at it today, uh, I see what happened with modules. I think modules are on all a good approach. Redis Labs, uh, we in Redis Labs identified a few interesting uh, directions that we want to take Redis to. That is, take Redis in the sense Redis is an engine, Redis is a server. It gives us a lot of infrastructures in, in terms of scaling, uh, persistence, high availability. We even have clients in every perceivable language. Uh, and we're exploring the possibilities of leveraging all that plus the performance in other data processing uh, segments. So we have Redis Search for doing text search and indexing. We have uh, Redis Graph for graph databases, which, by the way, uses a very nice... Uh, Slightly new technology of uh, sparse matrices, and uh, I don't remember what the, all the technical details, but it's faster. <laughs> and we're also doing the same with AI now and time series, uh, basically trying to marry the Redis benefits with the uh, best of read approaches to tackling uh, problems in data processing uh, nowadays. 
so all in all, I think modules are a great, great approach. Uh, I don't see modules becoming, these modules anyway, becoming a part of Redis itself. Uh, it doesn't make sense. Uh, Redis itself, the core needs to be the core, generic. It may include modules in the future, the core, but modules that are generic enough. And um, I hope to see more modules coming. The real problem with the module development is that the barrier is a little high to enter there. Interesting perspective, Tamar, especially the, 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 the recent developments there. You just touched on a very important subject. Over the summer, there was a lot of news as in headlines with the change of the governance in the project because Salvatore stepped down. Maybe you want to kind of elaborate a little bit on this one and especially kind of the new governance structure in contrast to Salvatore being essentially the owner, the benevolent dictator for life, uh, and now the kind of team approach that is in yeah, place. Totally. So it wasn't a real surprise for anyone who was monitoring the project or following even Salvatore. Like I remember from a long time ago that, uh, He said, I want to do Redis for 10 years or something like that. Like when he talked about projects, he thought there, he said there are little projects which I go through, uh, which I finish after a week or a month. But Redis is the kind of project I want to spend a lot of time with, like in a 10 years uh, time frame. And he certainly did that. But the project, and I think I touched it, has gone through several stages. It was created, it got it, uh, popular over time, more people joined, more users requests, and eventually, I wouldn't say plateaued, but it came to a point where a lot of work is needed in just maintaining it and improving the existing, besides creating new features, which is what Andres and I think Every developer in the world really likes. We all like to develop new shit. We don't like to maintain it. Uh, at least that's my view as a semi-developer. Uh, so I think at the end of the day, and after such a long time, uh, Salvatore just needed to breathe. Uh, he wanted the project to continue. He just wasn't able to both maintain it, develop it, and do everything around it. Uh, and we were preparing for that. Uh, after he joined the company, our developers, some of our developers got to work with him more closely and get more insight into his code base and the way he's thinking and designing. And it's only natural that uh, when he decided it was time to step back, and he's still with Redis Labs and he's still involved in all that, but he's not doing day-to-day -day coding or answering GitHub issues. Uh, I basically appointed two of the top brilliant people in the world and certainly in Redis Labs to take over the project in the sense of leave it. Uh, now, the fact that he gave it to two people, that is Yossi Gottlieb and uh, Orana Gra, two amazing developers, basically changed the rules of the game. Uh, it's no longer just one. With all the pressure of being the sole dictator, there are benefits to being a dictator. Like, you say something, and whether you're right or wrong, this is what happens. 
but uh, the minute it got split between two, it was it's not uh, it, it's either one or more. It's not two, and uh, it's it's a good approach because the project is currently at the scope where it's I think it's big enough to to fit into a couple of people's brains. We need experts in different domains. We need uh, there are, there's a lot of interaction. There's a lot of tasks. So it's more than just one person. And it's still just open source, right? We're not, it's not that uh, uh, we're actually monetizing off it. It's basically put out there and will be continued to put out there for the good of everyone, I hope, to use and grab freely. We're not changing the license, despite whatever you've heard. It's always going to be free, BSD3. So basically, once we've changed the governance from a single person to multiple, uh, the next logical step was to expand this and leverage on the existing community that we know Redis has. So the governance that we shaped is now made of, out of the governing body to which we've invited to uh, notable and uh, contributors to Redis. One of them is from Amazon Web Services, Madeline Olson, and the other is Zhao Zhao from Alibaba. Both of them have been uh, loitering and bugging us and talking with us in the repository, making good code contributions, good reviews, good points, uh, and really understand their Redis. They know their Redis. So these guys sorry, girl and guy, are also part of the governance. I also got invited, by the way, not as a developer. I'm not the non-technical member. Uh, and right now we have this body of five people who share the load of maintaining and taking care of the Redis project. It may seem like a huge jump from one person in charge of the project to five. But in reality, it's it's a big challenge because Salvatore uh, wrote the entire thing almost, or 90% or 95% of the thing, so he was aware of what he did. It's more like uh, revealing what happened or studying areas in the code base that we don't really know. He had the entire code base basically in his head, whereas we have to go back and study it. But there's also a lot of uh, backlog, if, if you will, in the project, things that we feel have been neglected and we'd like to clean the table. We want to be one of the goals of our governing body is to be more open and more accepting, not in the sense that he wasn't, but we want to encourage people to contribute to Redis. We don't see ourselves as the sole developers of Redis. Uh, quite on the contrary, I think everyone in the governing board would like just to be in the position where they can do code reviews or even not that, have people who do code reviews and just like um, navigate the idea of the core governing body is to set the direction and see, see how Redis should go. It's not necessarily implemented. And we think that 
the only way to scale the development of Redis and the open source project, of course, is have more able developers join the effort, any kind of developer uh, in any aspect, whether it's the docs, whether it's the tooling, whether it's testing, whether it's you name it. We can't cover everything. We know each one of us is just one person and we are only five at best and None of us is maintaining Redis open source as his day job. All of us have other jobs, right? Uh, so we definitely want to encourage more participation. And uh, this is, I think, the biggest challenge for Redis now. How do we find, attract, nourish, help people who want to help and uh, are interested in contributing to the project? Uh, we started that basically... Um, we've uh, established a milestone in the Redis repository. It's called the 6.2 milestone. We want to release the next uh, version of Redis 6.2 uh, by the end of this year or early in the beginning of next year. Uh, we see that version as a version that's less about new features but and more about, like we call it, gap completion or API completion or just making sure that a lot of often requested things that were you that were requested in the past get into 6.2 so new commands we need to we don't want to break uh, we use semantical versioning now so we can't just roll out a patch with new commands we need a, a minor version at least uh, so we are planning to release the next minor version that is 6.2 uh, which will include a bunch of new commands, basically as much as we can shove there uh, that we can, if we get the time to implement them, plus a few optimizations and stuff that are too risky to do in the patch. But uh, the milestone as is, I hope most of the things will get into Redis 6.2, but it's depending on assistance from the community. Even if all of us could work on it, I'm not sure. Uh, we'll get to the bottom of the pile of features and stuff we need to do there. So uh, this is uh, the next test or the next challenge for us, I think, as a governing body of Redis, see how we can make the develop the project development stickier and uh, more compelling to people to just join and start helping pick a feature or pick an issue and start coding with our guidance, of course, but we want people to be independent and we're looking for help. Okay, I understand. So, so it sounds like Salvatore did the bulk of the work in the past and since the transition, how have you seen, um, <clears throat> I guess, new contributors taking on that as you are kind of looking for to, to contribute to this? Have you seen, uh, how would you describe that uptake so far? I understand you're looking for more, but... Uh, um, all in all, I think we're doing really well. Or maybe you need to edit that out because I don't want people to think we're doing too well. <laughs> um, it's it's a gradual process, right? Um, it takes time to bootstrap that. It takes time to get into the rhythm. It takes time to get the message out. It's not an instant powder that you can mix in a cup of water and just uh, drink it. Uh, that said, I think it's going great. 
both because the core team is really stepping out, up, uh, not out, up for it. Uh, Oran is doing an amazing job. He's super responsive. And that's, I think, one of the critical things you have to have. You need to be responsive. So he's covering the repo from one side to the other. He's responding to new issues. He's also going through older issues and giving them love and care. We're also doing that, but he's doing it very, very, uh, he's very focused on that now. And I see the return on the investment immediately because even people who almost lost hope because their PR is collecting dust and rotting for years, uh, just having someone go there to their PR, give a nudge, maybe give a few pointers, and showing the willingness does a lot of good. Um, that said, we also started a new team, or I, I don't know how to call it, but another team called Redis Contributors, not just the core developers, but Redis Contributors. These are developers who we think are uh, promising and are interested. So they have more um, privileges in the repo. They can do triage for issues. Um, we sometimes ask them to do specific tasks if we have, or they can pick specific tasks. So we have two two guys, two, uh, two developers in the repo in this group now, and they're helping us a lot. Uh, so again, th these are all exponential, like how do you measure a growth from zero to one or from zero to two or one to five? These are like scales, but uh, it's still baby steps and we're doing it very, very, we're taking it slow uh, on purpose. We don't just want to open everything and start everything. We want to see how it works and make sure that we can support that. That said, we want to continue. We need to increase the volume and the velocity because uh, at the end, it's uh, a win-win situation. The more people who contribute, the more everyone benefits. That has been more than interesting, Tamar. Given the fact that we are almost kind of uh, on top of the hour, um, I think the final question would be from from me. Where do you see the, the future of the project going forward now with the new governance structure in place and the road ahead? It's a great question. So, yeah, we actually did some preliminary work to identify, explore, brainstorm on where could we go next. The good news is there are a lot of directions we could go. There are, without naming them, features and capabilities we heard, we think people will enjoy using in Redis, whether they are based on streams. One of the tasks, for example, one of the things I'd like to see in the future is what we dubbed as streams version two. Uh, streams is a great data structure, by the way, introduced like a couple of years ago. Uh, we already see people using it, but we feel that it could be even more awesome uh, so Streams version 2, which will offer some convenience tools, sure, but also a better way to consume streams, uh, especially in large deployments. That's one way uh, or one direction I'd like to see Redis going. Basically, some of the 
uh, streams need some, uh, I think, love and care to make it, to, to take it to the next level. But there are also like totally orthogonal features which are not necessarily streams related, whether it's a new data structure that could be added to Redis, uh, stuff like um, one of the most requested features in Redis is the ability to expire elements inside a hash. Uh, or any nested uh, data type for that matter. So we're examining that or seeing if we can give something that will solve this problem and others, maybe perhaps even add, dare I say it, a schema to Redis, which is, as all NoSQL databases are, a schemaless database. So maybe we need a schema in Redis. Oh, yeah, totally. And that's just like the least tricky. There are lots of talks, there are lots of ideas, each with its own merits, its own challenges, but, uh, and we're still evaluating them, right? We're trying to listen to everyone, both Redis Labs customers, AWS customers, Alibaba customers. We now have like a, a very broad view of Redis users in, in that sense. Uh, um, but it basically, we have a lot of ideas, and I could go on and on listing them and getting wild. I can even say distributed transactions. But all of these ideas, whether good or bad, are definitely major tasks, And which brings me back to my previous points. Um, I don't think anything substantial is going to happen without a, the governing body make, setting the direction, that is establishing a roadmap or a wish list of sorts, this is what we want, or, and this is basically what we're doing with the milestone and we're planning to make it even more visible and explain what we want. And on the other hand, other people helping uh, the project to do it because the fact that I say that I want uh, feature X does not mean that I can do it or that I have the time to do it. And this is open source. I can say until tomorrow I want it, but until someone does it, it won't happen. Um, so it all boils down to the community aspect here. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. I haven't uh, <clears throat> picked up upon the requirement to uh, expire uh, parts of hashes before. That's not something that I've had anybody ask for myself. But uh, yeah, that's that's absolutely a good one. And uh, I, like I never, I can't understand. Maybe you can explain it to me. Like I know that the feature exists, and I can guess why some people would want to make this feature or want to have this feature, especially given that Redis can expire keys but not nested elements. But I can't, for the life of me, I find it very hard to find the right use case or use cases for that. That is, expire certain fields in a hash. Why not expire the entire hash? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I would agree with that. That's, that's, and, that's uh, it's a right. tricky one. Like, <laughs> if, if there was a good use case, a compelling use case, it would be much easier to push this forward. But it's a tricky thing to implement. There are, it's a trade-off, right? So you either pay performance and accuracy or memory or both. But in order to make that sacrifice, I need a good excuse and I yep. just can't find it. So this is kind of on our wish lists. Other things are granted much more uh, urgent and important, I guess. 
uh, but still require a significant effort. Yeah, no, I like the, like the fact that you're expanding on streams as well. That's, that's one of my favorite data types, definitely, in, uh, in Redis. Yeah. yeah. But that's something on the list as well. It's, it's not that you have um, set your goals as in uh, for Redis 7, we want to achieve X, Y, and Z as such. It's more of a evaluation yeah. process at the moment. So we currently put it on the sort of, we call it the 6-2 and next year wish list, which is kind of leading to Redis 7. Uh, Streams version 2 is on that list, which is semi-public and soon will be very public. Uh, For Streams specifically, it requires a big effort because there are a few missing commands, if you will, like people asked for a command that does this or that and a few missing ideas, but we feel that we need someone or some buddies need to take like a few minutes to sit and see the entire picture, not just go and sporadically add a command that will be out of sync with the entire effort. Like, so in that sense, it's a bigger effort than just like adding a simple command to, uh, I don't know, to a H get set, for example. Um, and yeah, I I think one of the, the things we're missing is our users, our community, both in help but also in inputs. I'd love to have like people who are using streams feel very comfortable to come somewhere to the developers because before that everyone who knew Redis or was interested in Redis's development knew who Salvatore was. So they'd grab him on Twitter or maybe meet him in a conference when, you know, we remember when the times we had conferences, right? You'd hang Indeed. out. Yeah. <laughs> now yeah. Nowadays, a while ago, but... <laughs> yeah, so nowadays, we don't have Salvatore to collect the feedbacks. We don't have conferences, at least now. And even if we had, I don't see us going to conferences. <laughs> like, the developers are more interested in developing, not going to conferences. So I think one another thing is collecting feedbacks, not just from the repository, from people opening an issue, just like how do you use it? What what else do you want from it? What would make your life easier sort of thing? But maybe listening to this podcast will help people to come forward. Okay. This brings us pretty much to the end of the of this episode. And Itamar, that has been more than interesting, especially the historic bits, the future bits, so to speak. And it has put a, certainly for me a different perspective on one of the most popular NoSQL projects, I suppose. Any parting thoughts, Itamar, before we round this off? I just want to wish everyone here, Martin, Chris, and our listeners, live long and prosper. Indeed. <laughs> and with that welcome, farewell. Itamar, we you would like see, to... You should see my hand. <laughs> ah, okay. We don't have video. Itamar, thank you very much for, 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 for all of your insights and for, for, for a great show. Uh, Martin? Yeah, nice one. Very, very uh, good to talk to you. One of my favorite subjects. So, yeah, <laughs> it's a pleasure. And looking forward to having you on the show once again in the future.
Okay, that was a very interesting interview, Martin, don't you think? It was, it was. He um he's certainly a good speaker, isn't he? But then you'll um, you'll find uh, you'll find him talking at many British conferences as well. That's true. By the way, full disclosure, we both used to work with Itamar at Redis Labs before Martin decided Oh, what, uh, happened? To, what happened? Did you leave? Yeah. No, no, no. Martin decided to defect to another company this year and he's now looking after some um GPU database swindle or something like this. I don't know. Anyway, funny, funny enough, of course, Redis Labs is also the company where Martin and myself met. You could actually push it that far and say that actually Redis Labs is unknown to many, the breeding ground for something called Linux and Laws. Uh, well, uh, Redis Labs plus a certain amount of beer, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> yes, in a Prague establishment that shall, that shall go unnamed for the time being. <laughs> okay, on to the on to the boxes, Martin. What do you have what do you have this week? Boxes, oh I have had uh, zero time. Um I have some anti poxes which is well I have one anti pox which is Windows. Um let's yeah let's get into this during the next episode which is about two hours long the merit <laughs> of windows anyway if you want to run anything on windows just create a linux container and do it you'll save yourself you, a lot of time yeah. you could also of course use double, something called WS, uh, wsl 2.0 if you're oh, on windows yeah, no, it's not, yes yeah is it not? Okay, great. Uh, maybe, t- maybe the topic for another episode. Uh, my pox of the week is a book called On the Broad. It's a satire, whatever you want to call it, a parody of the original Jack Kurak, Kerouac, sorry, Kerouac, uh, book On the Road. And it's just absolutely recommendable in terms of, uh, where Kerouac originally is way too serious. This book written by, let me double check. Mike Lecher, yes, Mike Lecher, you, of course, you'll find the link in the show notes, basically seriously takes the piss at On the Road. It's essentially the original story set in modern times, uh, not some, not, not, not a gang of people coming back from the war, but rather On the Road between university gigs. If you're in For Laugh, if you're into a good parody, don't miss this book. That's my box of the week. Of the week. And now onto your, onto your anti-pox, which is of course Windows, but we already talked about this. Hmm. Yes. Do we want to talk about some more or? (laughs) Uh, I think it has, it has been said enough about Windows and other operating systems. Just don't try and run any. Um, um, Anything on just, there just that's not, of, not originated from Windows. Just out of curiosity, I've tried WSI before, but that was on, still with version 1. Version 2.0 hasn't improved because what they apparently did is they put a full-blown kernel well, I mean, into, it, into Windows rather, yeah. than the, rather than this emulation layer. Mm. Well, if you're going to run Windows and you and you need Ubuntu or any other Linux distro, just do a dual boot. That would be my recommendation. <laughs> so, what is the point of this WSL? I've tried it a bit, and it's just yeah, messy, uh, clunky, and pointless. Okay, my Enterpox would. Um, do I have an Enterpox this week? I reckon it's it's still well. Actually, last week it was Biden. <laughs> Sorry, last episode. 
Biden. Mm. Uh, make it, make, let's make it Trump this, this episode because he's still hanging on. We're recording this, uh, epilogue, sorry, this, yeah, this epilogue on what is it now? The 7th? 19th? The 19th. Uh, thank you, Martin. <laughs> so Trump is still hanging on or clinging on to what probably is lost hope at this very point in time, I suppose. Trump, if you're listening to this, get yeah. alive, get out of the White House. <laughs> that would be my recommendation. Yeah. And with that, oh yeah, of course, we have to tease, Martin, we have to tease. The next episode, that is the famous Christmas slash New Year episode, which is funny yes. enough, this is, which is funny enough, season one, episode 20, will be a Christmas slash New Year special. Indeed. Um, where we Indeed. will talk about things past, things present, and things future. Mm. So if you're interested in few, in the future, for those few listeners who are, please make sure to check this out. And of and course, make sure yes, that you have eight hours spare time. Uh, that's short. I thought we were targeting <laughs> more like 20 hours or something. Maybe we can split this up into like with it, with the B sides, yes, yes, uh, a main episode. And then, uh, of course, <laughs> the extended rerun going for more like a day or two. <laughs> okay. And of course, another teaser, there will be a special episode of the dark side as in tech support. Say no more because we're still working on the details somewhat. So stay tuned. There's and feature, feature don't forget Christmas by any chance. Say again? Is it feature Father Christmas by any chance? Uh, well, I cannot reveal too much, so just stay tuned. Uh, this episode is targeted for 31st of December. It will be, of course, on HPR, like all our shows are, apart from the B-sides. So stay tuned and looking forward to another Christmas no, not another Christmas special. Looking forward to this special Christmas episode. And of course, you, dear listeners, see you then and there. This is the Linux in-laws. You come for the knowledge. But stay for the madness. Thank, Thank you for listening. listening. This podcast is licensed under the latest version of the Creative Commons license. Type attribution share like. Credits for the intro music go to Blue Sea Roosters for the song Salad Market, to Twin Flames for their piece called The Flow, used for the segment intros, and finally to Celestial Ground for their song Sweet Justice, used by the Dark Side. you find these and other ditties licensed under CC at Chimando, a website dedicated to liberate the music industry from choking copyright legislation and other crap concepts. <laughs> You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club 
and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website, or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.